Today we're continuing in the series of Picture This. You've seen, you've been here perhaps uh, for the others, the ones that uh, we've already looked at, the, the selfie concept of, of our selfishness uh, apart uh, from God. We've uh, looked at uh, today, Tim in the traditional service is talking about uh, the Photoshop ability that we have to tweak pictures and change the pictures and so forth. And uh, you'll be hearing that sermon next week in this, uh, in this service, and I'll be preaching the, the one for today, which is uh, Photo ID, Who Am I? Uh, I want to read for you the scripture that is in your uh, bulletin. You want to follow along. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. This is Paul writing to the Christians in Colossia. And I fill up in my flesh what I still lacking in return for Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. We, we are referred to in the New Testament as the, the body of Christ. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. He, he had a special commission by God to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles primarily. And of course, the Colossians would fall into that uh, category. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Underscore that in your mind. The glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone the fully mature Christian, fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is Paul's uh, commitment to his calling of God to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, this uh, thing that's going on these days about the uh, photo ID and the regular identification uh, most of us have in our uh, billfold or pocketbook or whatever uh, a driver's license if you're uh, old enough uh, one of my granddaughters just got her permit this past uh, week we got an email from her sitting in the car she's holding up that card with her face on it and smiling into the camera what a what a transition it is and and uh, that idea of having a uh, photo ID is uh, pretty important in our society. As a big controversy, as you may know about uh, what enables a person to go to the polls and to vote, should you have to have some kind of identification to prove that you're a uh, citizen and have a right to vote? And uh, as I say, there's a great deal of uh, argument about that. Another aspect that works into all of this uh, ID is uh, identity theft. Uh, 
one site indicated that the, that happens at about 330,000 uh, thefts being stolen, ID entities being stolen in a year. And it happens about like uh, every two seconds, somebody is stealing somebody's ID, identity. And what a, what a, a problem that is. I've known people who've had that trouble and it just uh, puts their life into shambles because they're trying to re recover what has been stolen from them by, by the, the, uh, the uh, identification. Uh, who, who knows who's the worst thief about the identity uh, theft? Who, who do you think is worse at it? Who? Family, close friends. Family, close okay. Uh, we, we hear a lot about through hacking, uh, the Chinese are busy doing that, the Russians are busy uh, doing that, but the, the real answer to that question is that the greatest identity thief of all is Satan. Satan des desires to steal our rightful identity in God in Christ. He started in the Garden of Gethsemane, not, not Garden of Eden, excuse me, getting ahead of myself, <laughs> and trying to help Adam and Eve know who they are, who they were. He was, try he was lying. He was trying to fool them into thinking it was different from the way it was. And Jesus... Uh, in the 10th chapter of John, 10th verse, he is explaining the guise of the evil one. He says, the thief, meaning Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. Um, identity is important. I remember as a little boy, uh, one occasion... I had misbehaved. I know, I know, I know, that's hard for you to imagine. I, I, I had misbehaved, and my uh, father said to me, he said, John, why don't you act like somebody? And I said, well, who would you suggest? <laughs> I got deeper in trouble. He grabbed me by the arm, took me to the bathroom, to that end as well, where all of our dirty clothes were hanging, and, and there was a special belt that was on that rack, which... Uh, he used to help me think of somebody I could act like uh, that would be that would be uh, good. Uh, I heard about a, a minister who was visiting uh, some of the shut-ins. This particular lady was uh, sitting there in her chair in the hall, a member of his congregation, but was struggling with uh, Alzheimer's, and so he was going to just kind of test her out a little bit. And he walked up to her and bent over and stuck out his hand and said, do you know who I am? And the lady looked up and said, no, I don't, but if you'll ask that lady over there, she'll tell you. <laughs> who, who are we? Who would you answer as to who that is? Uh, understanding that, knowing that, makes all the difference in, our, in the world. Um, a important figure in the Candler School of Theology at uh, Emory University, Fred Haddock, outstanding preacher, 
uh, Lord called him home uh, last this past uh, spring. But he was a, a, a tremendous uh, preacher and such a wonderful storyteller in the way in which he told him every preacher that went sat under him uh, wished they could do nearly as well. And he had a thing to happen to him. Uh, he was at Emory University, as I indicated, and uh, he and his wife decided they needed to get away from Emory and Atlanta and go somewhere and have a little vacation time and went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Many of you have been there. I've been there several times myself on uh, vacation. And they got there, rented a little uh, cabin by the, by the water, by the creek stream, and uh, they decided to go out to eat, and they went to a little mom-and-pop restaurant and sat down, ordered their meal, and uh, while they were waiting for their food to come, there was a gentleman came in the door dressed in overalls, uh, ever looking like a mountaineer, you know, and uh, he starts speaking to everybody, going along, shaking their hands, saying hello, and so forth like that. And uh, Fred Caddick said, I'm, I came to get away from folks. Now I bet he's going to come bother us. You know, he said that silently. And uh, sure enough, sooner or later, this gentleman came to his table, and he said, uh, well, hello, uh, where are you folks from? And uh, Fred said, uh, uh, we're from Atlanta, he said. Well, what do you what do you do in uh, Atlanta? And uh, Fred said, "Oh my goodness, he's uh, maybe I can determine. I'm a professor of homiletics." And uh, but the gentleman said, "Oh, you teach preachers how to preach," and and uh, that that got Fred's attention because he didn't expect that this uh, mountaineer guy would know what those long words meant. Uh, and so he says. Uh, I tell you what, and he reached over and he grabbed a chair and pulled it up to Fred's cell. The last thing he wanted was to get enter into some kind of discussion with this, this guy. And uh, he pulled up a chair and sat down at Fred and his wife's table and said, I got a preacher story to tell you. And Fred said, I bet I've heard it a 50 million times. He says, it, I want to tell you uh, something about uh, this, my particular life. He said, uh, I was born out of uh, wedlock. Uh, I never knew who my father was. My mother gave me her name, not my father's name, so I would never, never be a, a, an issue uh, with him about being his. And he said, I really struggled with that. At school, kids would say unkind things uh, about me. When uh, we would go downtown, I always felt like, uh, this is in East Tennessee, so I felt like uh, people were thinking about me, calling me names in their mind and, and so forth, and it was, it was a difficult time for us. He said, uh, my mother quit going to church after I was born because she was embarrassed. She felt that she wasn't welcome there. But my grandmother, he went on to say, felt differently. She knew I needed to be in church, and so she took me to church. So we went to a little Methodist church on the hillside there, faithfully. Uh, but I had problems with the preacher. 
The preacher was a large man. He had uh, kind of wild hair, bushy eyebrows, uh, booming voice. He jumped up and down when he preached. And he, well, he pointed his finger. And I always was so intimidated by that, that uh, pointing his finger. He was singling me out of all of the whole congregation. And I was always afraid of him. But Grandma insisted that we go, so we would, we would go. And what we would do is that we would, before, the, before they started the singing, we waited until they were wearing, and then we would go in so nobody would speak to us. And then at the end of the service, before the benediction, we'd, we'd slide out as well, so we wouldn't have to be confronted by anybody. But one time, it didn't work out that way. We'd been there for the service, and uh, we got ready to leave. We got to the back door to, to uh, escape, and uh, the usher said, oh, you can't go out this way. We've had an uh, 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 ice storm come through, and there's ice and snow on the steps. You, you'll fall if you go that way. You must go out the side door. So we turned and started out, and people were forming lines to get to the side door and so forth like that. And he said, I... I finally saw a little opening and I, and I started down between the pews and all of a sudden that big hand was on my shoulder. And I turned and looked and there was that big preacher staring right down at me. And he asked a question I hoped I'd never have to answer. He said, boy, who's your daddy? And he said, there was a silence in my soul. And he said, Oh, I recognize you now. You have this semblance of your father. You're a child of God. Go and embrace your inheritance. He said, that changed my life. Somebody told me that I was a child of God. And so the story goes. What a difference it made. And at this point, Fred Craddock says, please, sir, tell me your name. And he said, uh, my name is Ben Hooper. And it turns out that this Ben Hooper, this illegitimate child, had made something of himself because he was a child of God. He became an attorney. And eventually, he was twice elected as governor of Tennessee. And Fred Craddock remembered his grandfather telling the story of an illegitimate boy who eventually became governor of Tennessee. And Fred hooked it all together. You are a child of God. You're made in the image of God. Let me re remind you of that scripture in Genesis where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth, and all the creatures that move around the ground. Then it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
he created them. And later in Genesis it says, Whosoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God had made him. And in uh, Corinthians, Paul is writing, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We, we want to say, what is my photo ID? What is my identity? My identity is that I am one who is made in the image of God. It's important for us, too, to know that every other person is made in the image of God. Every adult, every teenager, every fetus, the image of God. And it's to be held as a sacred thing. And God grant to our nation to come to our senses, to understand that we all, born and unborn, are made in your image. And that life is to be held with sanctity. Oh God, wake us up. Help us understand. You know, it's kind of interesting to compare the contrast of people who are so outraged because a dentist went on a safari of sorts and, and killed Cecil, as the British call it, Cecil the lion. What an outrage. While hourly little bitty human beings are being murdered. God help us. We're all made in the image of God. Jesus tells the disciples who they are. Listen to some of the terms because they apply to us as well. Jesus said, you're a salt. We don't like to eat something that doesn't have salt on it. You don't want to have mashed potatoes for lunch today with no salt on it. See, you're a light. Where the light is to shine in the darkness. You're to be fishers of men. You're to go out and catch those and bring them to the Father's house. You're workers in the vineyard. You're sowers of the seed. I am the vine and you are the branches and you're to bear fruit. You are the sheep. I am the shepherd. You're the witnesses, as he declared at Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He changed some people's names. Simon became Peter the Rock, so he would know who he was. Saul's name was changed to Paul, that great apostolic missionary. He describes how we are to become what God intended. First chapter of John. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. We are children of God. Listen to the scriptures that further this over again. We read it at the beginning. But then there, abide in me and I, Jesus, in you. For me to live is Christ. If Christ be in us, the body is dead because of sin. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That, that determines who you are. You are one in whom Christ lives. He says, examine yourselves to whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? And again and again he says, if a man remain, abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. There's a great mystery around this matter of the Holy Spirit, of Christ being in us. He, he does so by the Holy Spirit. In writing to John again, I will ask the Father, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Christ comes to live in us when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, into our hearts. He comes to dwell in us. John, the apostle, disciple, that wrote the Gospel of John, in writing about passages where he was involved is an interesting thing. In the 13th chapter of John, this is, a, this is the description of what's going on in the upper room. That's when the communion was established at that time. Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for what's going to happen immediately. As soon as they leave there, he'll be arrested, he'll be tried and crucified before the weekend is over, but of course be raised again. But start back with the 13. His disciples stared at one another after Jesus described what I've just told you. The disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's, that's John. He's referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was sitting next to Jesus and he was reclining against him. They did not have chairs to pull up to a table that way. They, they, would, they would lie down, propped up on an elbow in the ancient world. That one who was, the one he loved was John. At the cross, Jesus looks out and he sees his mother and he sees John there. And John, in describing this, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby. And Jesus says, woman, this is your son. And to the disciple, he says, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Then, when Jesus was raised from the dead, and Mary Magdalene discovered the tomb was empty because he had risen, she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That, of course, was John. So, you have a photo ID. You have an identity. 
And your identity is that you're the one whom Jesus loves. Don't let Satan pull his old lies on you. The world will tell us who we are if we let it. He'll say, you're primarily, you're a consumer, or you're primarily a, a customer. Or during this time of, of year in our nation, you are a, a voter for someone's political uh, aspirations. But the gospel says again and again, you are the one who Jesus loves. So you could turn to the neighbor next to you and say, just who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are? We'd sometimes ask others. But the answer to that is, I don't think, I know. I'm the one Jesus loves. You are the one that Jesus loves. Back there, you're the one. You may wonder how he could love you so. I almost came out of my shoes when, <laughs> when I saw that, it, that someone had selected that song. Couldn't have been a better choice. Oh, how he loves us so. He loves us so. If he loves you, he loves you so. Enough to die on the cross your salvation so that you can throw your shoulders back and your head up high and you can say I'm a child of the king I'm a child of God I'm the one Jesus loves as the band comes forward the lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for allowing us to escape the attempt of Satan to steal our true identity and try to tell us that we are something other than what we are. He tried it on Adam and Eve, and it didn't work, thanks to the grace of God. Enable us, Father, this day to be able to walk forth into the world as one who is a child of God, made in the image of God, and one who walks with assurance through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to know that they are indeed the one